All right, uh, this is FluxPod. My name is Matt Perpetua. What you're about to hear is a little segment from a recent project I did on FluxPod Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash fluxblog. The pro- uh, <laughs> it's a project called Poptober, which I did with Chris Conroy, an old friend of mine who is a... Uh, his job is he's an editor at DC Comics. He knows Batman personally. Pretty cool. But we did uh, basically a four-hour series, four episodes about U2's much maligned and misunderstood, but very great, in our opinion, record pop from 1997. And in this, you know, we come at pop from a bunch of different angles. We go through each of the songs and talk about them in detail. Um, I think that what we created is a probably one of the best works of music criticism that I've been a part of. I think we did a. Uh, I think you get a lot out of it, whether or not you like you too. I think that's that's a point I really want to hit there. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is going to be a little segment of that that we're, about the song "Gone." And I chose this part because this is one of the ones that kind of spirals out into us talking about a, a broader idea of flopping and of uh, reinvention. The idea of reinvention as being a, a core component of pop music culture as we've understood it for the past 30, 40 years. Um, so yeah, we get into that in this one. If you want to hear the whole thing, just hit up the Flux blog Patreon. It's $5 a month. $5 a month will get you all of this and just tons of other episodes I've created over the past year or so including also a four-part series about Led Zeppelin called September that I did with Sean T. Collins. And I'm going to be doing more of these kind of deep dive specials in the future, these little mini-series. Not about to announce one yet, but uh, they'll be fun. I think I'll be getting back into it uh, maybe December, certainly February. So, yeah, uh, check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Hope you go and subscribe. See you soon. Well, let's just jump right into it uh, with Gone. Gone, I think at this stage, is my favorite song on this record. Um, It's a a song that's had kind of a longer life than some of the other songs on the record, though. You know, they played it on a... Well, they played on the next tour, and then they kind of abandoned it. But nevertheless, Gone is a song that was never a single, though it probably should have been. I would have made it the lead single if I was because I would have made the more conservative choice, honestly. Um, but it, it did end up on the uh, U2 best of 90 to 2000 in the uh, kind of fucked up remix, just like all the other pop songs, uh, which I find with this song especially galling because I think that they just nailed it on the production of this song the first time. Tightly, there was nothing left for. 
It's one of the few songs where they really got density absolutely right. Like, it is sonically so dense and kind of awe-inspiring in all of the layers of stuff going on. It sounds huge in the way you want a song you're going to be playing in stadiums to sound huge in a way that kind of... Some of the other songs sound like you're really pushing to get there. Like, you know, Last Night on Earth is sort of artificially chasing a stadium sound and gone, if you hear it properly inside a stadium, would be a transporting experience. Yeah, this song rules. Yeah, so so a thing about Gone is I have, for a very long time, seen Gone as basically the third act of a trilogy of U2 songs that starts with The Fly... The middle act is Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, and Gone. So they're, they're, they're these songs basically, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're from the perspective of the rock star, you know? Uh, yes, I mean. And the first one being the kind of like above it all rock star. The second one being the one who's kind of dealing with a struggle of fame. And this is the one that's really kind of like the most existentially fraught. And I believe, uh, like, he, I can't tell whether this song was written specifically for Michael Hutchins or it simply just became about him later on. Um, but I, I think that it, it probably did. I think, if, if memory serves, I think it was, in fact, you know, from conversations that the two of them had. They were quite close friends. Um, but the, the structure of Gone kind of has that kind of towering, super processed riff. Um, the, the, I always think of the chorus parts of Gone as being pretty close to Depeche Mode, like both texturally and melodically. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, you Ooh, know, there's, I think, there I think is, more of the verses, more of the verses. Sorry. Yeah, there's a there's a certain kind of you know melody and vocal sound that arena music tends to collapse into, and I think this is a place where. U2 and Depeche Mode are playing in very similar territory for sure. This yeah, song there's a, just, I think it, there's a specific keyboard part that feels extremely Martin Gore. Yes, I would agree with that. But yeah, Gone also, I think this, you know, for obvious reasons, Gone just goes off well live. Um, I, I'm very fond of the, the version of Gone that was from the Elevation tour that's on, because they, they made two live dvds of that tour but the first one in boston it's on that one and i think the live version on that where and he you know at the beginning he says like you know he dedicates it to hutch going going not gone you know uh and at that point uh michael hutchins had had killed himself uh, several years prior well you know you know what it occurs to me right so michael hutchins died shortly after this album came out correct yeah they were yeah they were out on tour at the time so yeah it was yeah i think he i believe he died around may of 1997 is that correct but yeah 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 i mean i it's it's a tough one to say anything about because i do just kind of think it works it's just great and i sort of wish generally that kind of that feeling of being willing to walk it over walk away from it all and no longer make compromises was a feeling they had taken with them through more of the album. Uh, right. That, I, mean, well, I mean, this is like the ultimate fantasy. This is, this is almost like this is the closest Bono comes to actual suicidal ideation in his own music. And Bono is a, a distinctly non-suicidal type. No, absolutely. But you know, that, that general feeling of, you know, when you talk about, I could walk away from it all. It's a tremendously freeing act and it's a, tremendously frightening act obviously um and you know it it, when it's it's impossible not to hear it both ways now when you're talking about 
a peer who, you know, felt the temptation to walk away from it all in the sense of stardom and then walked away from it in the sense of life. Uh, it, it's interesting just because uh, I, I think about when you did your uh, the pop songs project with R.E.M. Uh, and at the end of it, you kind of opened it up to Michael Stipe for questions because Michael was extremely generous and sort of was like willing to answer questions about the songs uh, for readers of the site in a way that he really never had in his career. Uh, and the the one question I asked was a line that had always stuck with me from the song Hope, um, which is that it opens with the lyric, you want to go out Friday and you want to go forever. And a lot of people kind of interpreted it in two different ways. The idea that, you know, like you want to go out on a party that never ends and just kind of keep going and always feel the good times, uh, or you want to end it all, that you want suicide. Uh, and I really wanted to know which of the two Michael had in mind when he wrote it. And he confirmed that it was the, the hedonistic kind of reading. But like everybody who reaches this point of sort of mega stardom and the pressures that come along with it they have to start flirting with this idea and you two kind of being huge and churchy people made something kind of huge and churchy out of it in like a startling and beautiful way and other people are not always as successful so it's a very powerful song in that regard yeah i also feel like gone is the song on the record that's in dialogue with mofo because you have that part in mofo where he's getting into the guilt of his celebrity and like i'm still a child and no one tells me no and that kind of clicks right into a lot of the lines like you get to feel so guilty you got so much for so little and then later then you discover that what you thought was freedom was just greed you know i feel like you know there's a lot of this song that's kind of like him just being tremendously embarrassed by his lack of emotional growth by you know the trappings of being this successful for this long i mean at this point they are 10 years out from uh the joshua tree he'd already been famous for a while but after joshua tree you just achieve this level of success that your life never really comes down from and I think like maybe that's kind of the thing with uh, Michael Hutchins is I, well, I think there's kind of two things there. So it's like one is like, you know, him deciding to get off the ride. But I think that part of the compounding problems for Michael Hutchins, besides the issues of uh, him, uh, him having a pretty severe brain injury a few years prior and some, also to kind of having like kind of manic depression through his whole life. But in excess was kind of on a downward swing like they had a couple flop records in a row and you know the last record that came out was just doing poorly as well and i I feel like you know that ego blow was probably a significant part of things for him yeah i mean it's i i (laughs) well i will couch this in the caveat that i feel like i can imagine worse things but it is hard to imagine worse things than being in a position where you have all of the pressures of global stardom in the sense that like you can never have a normal day again. And also like none of the rewards, everybody thinks you're a shithead and a flop and your day-to-day emotional life is horrific. Like it's that, funny because you're making me experience. realize that like now that we, you know we have like the phrase like a oh, flop era which feels like the optimistic view of it where it's like oh your flop era ends you'll have you'll, you'll come yep. back and yeah and i mean look the narratives of pop careers had not 
hardened in that way in the 90s. You know, we were, this is actually something that I, you and I, I think meant to talk about extensively on this album, but the comparison between this album and Madonna. And right, the, the drive towards reinvention as, as a value, as a central value, I think, specifically of MTV. Yes. And, you know, over time, the sheer force of will of Madonna's career has kind of set the template for how we understand pop careers to work, which is that they have eras and you change visual signifiers and you change sonic signifiers and some of them work and some of them don't. And kind of that top level view of how the fame economy was meant to go existed but had not hardened in the way that it has now where yeah like, you, you, know, you kind of have of... to get through at least another more decade you know because you, you you don't you don't just need like these people who are kind of figuring out like it on the fly you also need like the second generation of people who are moving within those categories and further refining them so for madonna you really need like britney spears there to kind of uh solidify these narratives you need a couple you need you need you need people to make it a tradition rather than just a narrative specific to one career exactly and you need to stick around there need to be people who have stuck around long enough to make it clear that this can operate not just on press cycle time but on kind of a more geologic sort of time uh and you know the the pop music tradition that Madonna practices had only kind of really truly been born in you could maybe argue the 50s 60s but it was the 80s that made it a totally different economic and cultural proposition so right I mean you, you can look times. back at some precedents like obviously David Bowie I think the Beatles as well like there's there, there is kind of like this this forward momentum of a career and not just staying in one place but Madonna and I think yeah, I think Madonna is really it. And then like uh, the the person who runs in parallel with Madonna, who is maybe, I guess, kind of like in that Britney Spears thing where you need another person there to kind of help solidify patterns is uh, Janet Jackson. The Janet Jackson doesn't change her identity as much. She changes like Janet Jackson ultimately is mostly just changing the level of horniness that she is presenting. And that is a variable, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, on a musical level, like she's not transforming as much. She engages more or less with the prevailing artistic trends of the time. Um, for sure. She, you know, she, she moves with the prevailing sounds of R and D, but not in, not in the way Madonna does where she is kind of trying to drive the conversation and therefore gets the, the demerits for being so kind of like transparently, demanding and wanting to set the tone and the narrative like janet just kind of quietly moves towards what's going to work yeah so but i think like so kind of getting into that like i think you two definitely saw in excess as kind of a pace car and what they were doing um you know i mean there's other kind of direct contemporaries i think the cure kind of predate them slightly depeche mode's kind of like a, a little different realm but in excess and, and rem is american so it's totally different but in excess you know they're they're also they're they're from australia but they're like you know non-american bands who have very similar things going on you know i think like having him falter and having him fall into depression and obviously a song on the the next record after this uh, stuck in a moment is is very specifically about him and him kind of having this kind of uh dialogue in his head of what he i guess what he wish he could have told him 
Oh, stuck in a moment, I should say. I don't think I actually said what the song was. Stuck Correct. in a moment you can't yes. get out of. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that went to places, but obviously, you know, Gone summons all that stuff up. Uh, it's one of the best expressions of everything that sort of, you know, like it is in conversation with Mofo in the sense that it's about all the things the record is about, but also feels the most emotionally true to the human beings that are at the heart of it. You know, Mofo is obviously very much a about Bono's very real pain over the early loss of his mother. And this is, you know, as cynical as you can be about superstar pain, this is about the actual very real pain that's operating in that place. Yeah.